um, before we get to the passage for today, um, I want us to do a little world history um, review. Uh, so, how many of you guys are, are history buffs? All right, we got one and a half. All right. Um, so, I think we all could use this uh, to maybe better understand the passage for today. Um, so, we're obviously in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel uh, was around the year 550 B.C., um, if you're not familiar with B.C. and A.D. and how those work, in A.D. we count up, in B.C. you count down, okay? So a lower number in B.C. is later, right? Um, so 550 B.C., 550 years before Jesus. Jesus is the hinge point in history based on how we tell our time, okay? As opposed to my kids, who this morning I heard them uh, talking about how they remember periods of time, and it's based on what... Uh, treats were in the Happy Meal boxes. Um, they were saying it was, life was better in this certain span when it was the Minions boxes. So, um, so we don't tell time based on Happy Meal boxes, uh, but we, uh, we tell time based on Jesus, and it's the years leading up to Jesus, and it counts down to Jesus, and then from Jesus it counts up again, okay? So, so now we're 2,022 years from Jesus, is that right? Um, yeah, and so so in 550 B.C., 550 years before Jesus, um, Daniel is in Babylon, and he's going to have a vision that's going to lay out some things. Um, but what happens from Babylon? Okay, so Babylon, we, we already saw um, where the Medes and the Persians came in and conquered Babylon. Well, that happened in 539 B.C. Okay, so 539 B.C., the Medes and Persians conquer Babylon. Okay, so then they rule for a good span of time, um, you know, about 200 years or so. Uh, and then this guy, Alexander the Great, uh, comes on the scene. Um, he was a Greek, and he came from Greece, which is west of Babylon. Okay, a little geography for you, too, this morning. We've got history and geography. We're just going to school. Um, but so Alexander the Great comes from the west, from Greece, and he just like blows through conquering everybody, uh, taking over everything. Um, but then he has a very untimely death all of a sudden. And uh, he didn't have, once again, a great secession plan. And so after Alexander the Great um, takes over everything for Greece, uh, then his kingdom, his empire, is split up into four separate kingdoms that are all ruled by different people. Okay, uh, And so then that lasts for a little bit period of time. And then in 175 BC, out of one of those kingdoms, a guy comes into power called Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay? And Antiochus Epiphanes decided he was going to try to conquer some of the other kingdoms, again, to bring them all back together. Um, he's not extremely successful, uh, but he was successful in taking over Jerusalem in that area. And he was very, very, very bad to the Jews. He had declared himself as God. Um, he ruled that they could not worship God themselves any longer. They could only worship him. Um, all of their feasts, all of their things with the temple that they had rebuilt and everything, all of that had to come to a stop. Um, and he severely persecuted um, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, uh, during his, his short reign. Well, it's right after him, so he's 164. Uh, so in 146, do the math, what is that? That's uh, 18 years. Did I do that right? 
Um, so 18 years later, the Romans officially defeat the Greeks at the Battle of Corinth. Okay? Uh, and they did such a, a job at Corinth where they destroyed everybody and everything that all the other Greek cities basically said, okay, we fold too, we give in, uh, yeah, Rome, you're in charge. Okay? So that's our world history for us um, this morning. Now, where does that leave us? That leaves us looking at, at Daniel chapter 8. And in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel is given a vision that basically lays out, this is what's going to happen. So much so that people that read it say there is no way this was written in 550 BC. There is no way that he was this accurate, you know, 400 years before some of this stuff happened. There's no way that could happen. And if that's your, your, your stance, the reason you have that stance is because you believe, or you don't believe, that there's a God who can reveal these things. And so if you just are coming from human reason and intellectualism, then yeah, I mean, if you Google right now, uh, when was Daniel 8 written? It's going to tell you like 100 and something BC. Because the intellectual elite say, oh, there's no way. There's no way this could happen. That somebody could have a vision this many years before that could all come true. That's impossible. And so I'm going to read us uh, Daniel chapter, and we'll read the whole thing this morning, so stick with me as we read. It's a little bit longer um, than, than normally a passage we would just read in one chunk. But I want us to read it to get the full picture, and then we're going to go back and kind of work through it together, okay? So Daniel 8, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. So which king was King Belshazzar? What other story do we have with him? You guys remember? Handwriting on the wall, right? So he's the king when that happens. So that also tells us that he's the king at the end of the Babylonian Empire. King Belshazzar, uh, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa the citadel. Now, Susa was the capital, not of Babylon, but it was the capital of the Medes and the Persians. So in this vision, Daniel is taken to this other city, this other, other capital city of basically their enemy, the one that's going to come conquer them and not, not too long from this point, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at, at the Ulai canal, canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the banks, bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high. But one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and he became great. And as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat was, had a conspicuous horn between its, his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had been standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram. He was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns, and the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. 
Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of the heavens. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the hosts of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. It will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand this vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now... As we've gone through some of these other kind of visions in Daniel, I've taken the approach of, hey, let's not read into Scripture what it's not saying. Like, let's let it speak for itself. So we haven't done a lot of like, hey, let's match up this vision with history. But here in this one, he's given the interpretation, and Gabriel even gives him the names of the kingdoms and how their kings are going to rise and fall. Like, at the moment that he's getting this vision, Greece was a nobody. Like, 
why, why would he pull Greece out of the hat to be the one to come conquer the Medes and the Persians? Like, they're nobody at this point. And yet Greece does, later on, rise up. Hey, Nikki, let's put the history timeline back up there. And so, so we see that this has happened in history. And we compare this to what Daniel is given in this vision between this ram with two horns, the Medes and the Persians, two horns. One of them is a little longer than the other. The Persians were more powerful than the Medes, but yet they came together, they worked together, and they conquered in every direction that they wanted to go. We saw that happen in history. We see Daniel getting this vision here. After that, the Greeks, who Gabriel calls by name, they come, they take over. Alexander the Great is the big horn. All of a sudden, Daniel says he just falls off. And that's literally what happened. Like he just died of like, for no reason, all of a sudden. And then these four other horns are going to pop up. Well, what happened? Four other kingdoms popped up. None of them were as powerful as he was. What does is, what is Daniel, what does Gabriel t- tell Daniel? They won't be as strong as he is. They don't have his power. Like we've, we've seen this happen in history. So much so that people who doubt the Bible and doubt scripture say, there's no, there's no way, Right? There's no way that this was written in 550 BC. There's no way. Because it is far too accurate. And so my question for you this morning is, can we believe the Bible? Because that's ultimately what's at stake. Because if we say, no, this was written later and made to seem like it was written earlier, well, what we're saying there is we're saying this is lying. That Daniel 8 is a lie. And that is a high claim to put on Scripture, to call Scripture a lie. Because if, if Scripture is lying, then what we're saying is what we believe to be the Word of God is a lie. And I'll be honest with you, if Scripture lies, then throw the whole thing out. It's useless. But if it tells the truth, then listen to it. And my proposition to you is, it tells the truth. And I believe that Daniel got this vision right when he says he got it. And that he wrote it down. And then the things that he was shown in that vision have come true. So that leads me not to say, hey, let's throw the whole thing out, but to say, hey, I really need to pay attention to this. Because obviously there is one at play, there's somebody at play here who is much bigger than anything else. Who can reveal all of these things. And that's God. You see, God can reveal the future, including the details. And you know why? Because he's in control over it. It's in his hand. He's that powerful. He's that great. But a lot of our intellectual elite who, who want to come to these kind of things and, and use academic jargon to try to discredit them, their problem is they, they don't believe that God is bigger than they are. And so if God can't be bigger than you are, then he can't do things you can't do. 
And if you can't tell the future, then surely God can't tell the future. But what if God's bigger than you are? Well, then that means you're smaller than you think you are. And a lot of people don't like that. But I want to tell you, God's bigger than you are. And you're smaller than you think you are. God's bigger than I am. And I'm smaller than I think I am. And that's how great God is. That's how big he is. Is that he's even able to to reveal to Daniel and say, look, here's what's about to happen over the next 500 years. And he shows him with this vision of a a ram and a goat. And he paints the picture with these horns and what's going to happen and how one comes from the other. So the, the, the next question is, well, before we get to that, the things that God has revealed have come true is the next thing. Like God reveals it and then it's happened. So that leads me to think that, hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe I need to pay attention to the other things that he's revealed. Maybe I need to look at the rest of scripture and the other things that God has said and say, what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for the future from this point? And, and so it's, it's, it's that important. Because we have seen, as we just show, showed with history up against Daniel 8, we've seen these things happen. We've seen this come to pass. There's no debating this. No, no, no um, student of history can look at history and look at Daniel 8 and not be able to say, yeah, this matches up. The only thing they can argue about was when it was written because it's because It's accurate. Okay, And so the question I, I do have for you, though, is how do we understand the timing of this and what all is included here? Because in the explanation that Gabriel gives, in verse 17, it says this, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Now, what do we think of when we think of the time of the end? What's, what's, where's your brain naturally go? The very end, right? Like Jesus coming back, setting up his eternal kingdom. That, right? Um, and so that's, that's where our brains naturally go. But I want to propose to you, what if we understood that sentence in Daniel's context? So Daniel is in the Old Testament. And he's under the Old Covenant, under the Old Law. And he's living in that time span. And for Gabriel to say to Daniel, these things apply to the time of the end. Could that just mean the time of the end of that time period? Which what, what happens at the end of that time period? Jesus. Jesus shows up. And so could it just be that here Gabriel is giving Daniel and he's saying, hey, here's the things that are going to happen until Jesus comes. Because he gets to Jesus in here, he's, he's saying, hey, the prince of princes is, you know, he's involved in all of this. All of this points to him. Who's the prince of princes? Jesus. And so Gabriel is pointing him forward to Jesus and he's saying, hey, here are the things that are about to happen until Jesus comes. So that's one way you can understand this, okay? You can understand it that way. A second way you can understand it is you can understand that when he says the time of the end, he literally means the end of time. 
and that uh, somewhere in there uh, where, he's, where we take that he's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, um, that he kind of switches and starts talking about the Antichrist, who's going to be at the end and fighting against Jesus and who ultimately is going to be destroyed. Um, as he says here, he shall be broken but by no human hand, um, right? And so that we know that's what's going to happen to the Antichrist is, is Jesus, the, the Prince of Princes, is going to destroy him. As we looked at before, um, he's going to do that just by his breath, um, just by speaking. He's going to conquer and destroy the enemy. Um, we know that that is all to come. So, which option do you prefer? Do you prefer the option where we say, oh, Daniel 8 is neat and clean, it's all happened, it's all in history, it all led up to Jesus, there's Jesus in it, all right, that's one option. Or do you take the option of, well, maybe somewhere in here it kind of switches gears and it does apply all the way to the end. You could take that option. Or I'll give you a third option, and it's both, all right? Um, And this is something that we see in dealing with prophecies in the Old Testament, is that a lot of times they'll have an immediate application, but also a long-range application. Um, And so we call this kind of a a dual interpretation or a dual application of prophecy, where where God has given them a vision and and we see it happening and being fulfilled right there soon, close by. Um, And then also it goes from there and, and it we're just making sure Wanda's okay. So, um, but it goes from there, and and it later has a bigger meaning or a bigger fulfillment as well. Okay, uh, if you want an example of this, uh, we can go to Hosea. So, in Hosea is a, a prophet, um, and Hosea eleven, uh, starting in verse one and two, it says this: When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. So who, who is Hosea talking about there? Well, in immediate context, it seems that he's talking about the nation of Israel, that he is called out uh, of Egypt. Remember, that, that happened. He brought them out of Egypt. Um, and then it's very clear that it's then when it says, the more they went away, they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings of idols. Like that's, that's the history of the Old Testament, right? That's what we see throughout the Old Testament. And yet there's a double meaning to this, this prophecy because Matthew t- uses it this way. So let's go see how Matthew interprets this in Matthew 2. Now, when they had departed, this is talking about baby Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. Um, after the wise men came, uh, they were warned that, uh, that Herod was going to try to kill the baby, so they were to go to Egypt. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So you see the double meaning that Matthew is seeing out of Hosea 11? Where, where that's the beautiful complexity of God's word being living and, living and active. Is that, that yes... It, when, it, when Hosea was speaking, the people could say, oh yeah, this applies. We were called out of Egypt and we were a bunch of good for nothings. We were, kept worshiping Baal, even though God's the one that saved us. And then 
Matthew's able to take that same prophecy and able to say this was applying to Jesus where he says, my son. I called my son out of Egypt. Jesus is the son of God. And so we can, we can take, it's not wrong when you approach scripture to be able to see both things there is my point, okay? Because scripture does it. So if scripture does it, I think it's okay for us to do it. So I think it's okay in Daniel 8 for us to see, yeah, this was all neat and clean and it was all fulfilled. It led up to Jesus, it pointed to Jesus. And I think at the end of time, after Jesus has come back, after he's defeated the Antichrist, we're going to be able to look back at Daniel chapter 8 and say, oh yeah, and this definitely applied and this applied. And what he was shown here definitely applied to the Antichrist as well. I believe it has that double meaning there that we can see. And so my, my question for you is this at this point. Why is it such a big deal that everything points to Jesus? Because what God reveals, it all points to Jesus. Have you noticed that? Like even as, as we're looking at that, that prophecy in Hosea, what's it pointing to? It's pointing at Jesus. People probably didn't understand at that point, but Matthew's like, yeah, it was. We look at Daniel 8. Where, do, where does he get to? The prince of princes. He's there in the center of all of it. And so it's all pointing, all of the Old Testament backwards, it's all pointing forward to Jesus. Just like all of our timeline from before Jesus all counts down to Jesus. Our timeline after Jesus all counts up from Jesus. This is how far we've gotten from Jesus. The New Testament all points to Jesus. Everything about the future all points to Jesus. Jesus is at the center of all of it. And Jesus is that big of a deal. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the perfect one. And he left his place in heaven to come take on human flesh so that he could live as one of us and so that he could die on a cross. He lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong. So he was not guilty of anything. And yet he paid the punishment for everything. He gave his life to die for us so that we could be forgiven. So that we who are guilty, like all the Israelites who had, had done everything wrong, we who have done everything wrong, we can come to God and we can say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in what he did on the cross. I believe that he is your son. I believe that he is the perfect sacrifice. And I believe that he rose again three days later, defeating sin and death. That's the center of it all. That's where all history, past, present, and future all points to is Jesus. And because he won that defeat on the cross, because he won that, that victory by rising again, defeating sin and death, he's able to offer that to us. And scripture tells us if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So I encourage you today, call on the name of Jesus if you haven't already. And ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Because it all points to him. And a God who can lay out 500 years worth of history before it happens. 
was all pointing to Jesus. And that's somebody I think we need to listen to. That's somebody that I think is better than me and bigger than me. And so I want to hear what he has to say, not what I have to say. And so I want to ask you, have you done that? Have you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Have you made him the king of your life? Have you said, yes, I'm yours? Because there's nothing better that you can do for your life than to put it in line with the thing that matters the most, the thing that everything points to, and that's Jesus Christ. So I encourage you today to do that. So if you have done that, what, what is our takeaway from this? One, be encouraged. Be encouraged that we know the one who's able to reveal the future. I mean, that's a big deal. That's awesome. So be encouraged by that. But also, don't take that lightly. What did Daniel do after he'd had this vision? And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Even as Gabriel explained it to him, he's like, I still didn't understand it. I was appalled by it. I was sick. Like he's literally physically ill laying in bed because of this vision. So one, let's not take these things lightly. And then secondly, after he was feeling better, what did he do? He got back to work. He said, I got up and I, got, I went about the king's business. And from the early church, there was a problem. When people were confronted with the truth, the truth about the future, the truth about Christ, people were putting together, okay, as Christians, we bear one another's burdens and we are holding everything in common. Like at that point, they, they were literally just selling their stuff and like giving to anybody that had need. Um, so they had that component going on. And then the other component with it was, and Jesus is coming back. And that's what we're really looking forward to. That's what we're excited about, right? Still today, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus to come back. That's, that's the exciting part. Um, that's the big moment. That's what, what's to come. And we're, we're living in anticipation of that. And scripture talks about it in the means that we're, we're, we're supposed to be ready for it at any moment, right? That we could, it could happen right now. Or it could be another thousand years. We don't know. But we're to live our lives like it's going to happen at any moment. So the problem that came from that was you had people who were saying, you know, other people are going to pay for my food. And I just have to sit here and wait on Jesus. And they had some problem with some people just being lazy. And so that's where Paul had to write in 2 Thessalonians. He said, if you don't work, you don't eat. And so I want to encourage you to follow Daniel's example. That when you're confronted with spiritual truth and these great revelations from God, sometimes one of the best things that you can do is go to work. Because that's what Daniel did. He's like, hey, I'm going to get back to the king's business. Now, what did the vision he was just given tell him? That king was about to get smothered, get smashed to pieces by a ram. A ram with two horns was about to come. So he's like, talk about meaninglessness in your work. Like, well, I know this kingdom's going down. I'm going to serve it to the best of my ability, right? Like, that's where Daniel is, but that's what he does with faithfulness and service. And so I want to encourage you, are you in your life 
taking that approach. I know the future. I know that Jesus is coming back. But for now, I'm going to get to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is true. I thank you that it reveals these things. I thank you that we can look at Daniel 8 and look at history and say, wow, that's so awesome that you're able to do that, that you're able to show how all of these things work together because that's how big you are and how in control you are, God, and how powerful you are. And so, Lord, I thank you for that, and I thank you for who you are and the fact that through, through your Son, through Jesus Christ, we're able to know you and have a relationship with you and serve you, have meaning in our life. God, we love you, and we thank you for all that you do for us. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.